This is Raider Nation Radio 920 Unnecessary Roughness. Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio, it's Adam Candy and JVT. Woo, it's a mod that is sexy. Sexy. Adam Candy and JVT from the big power voice. I like it. All right, Q's coming back soon. Don't worry. Your boy Q will be back with you here on Unnecessary Roughness, but Adam Candy here holding it down with Damon, the boss, and JVT will join us in just about a half hour. Let's remind you right from the top how you can get in touch with us because there is no unnecessary roughness without your calls and your texts. The phone number, 702-365-9200. That's 702-365-9200. You can also hit us up on the Sam and Ash text line. 69187 is the number to put into your phone with the keyword RNR. Visit them at SamandAsh.com because you deserve what's right. If you already found us, then congrats. If you need to tell your friends about where to find us, remember Raiders.com. Go to Raider Nation Radio on the TuneIn app or, of course, uh, the LVSportsNetwork.com website as always, hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Adam Candy, two E's, no Y on the end. John Von Tobel at me, JVT, and at Demon underscore the boss on Twitter. That's all of the housekeeping that we got to get out of the way. We are still mid-NBA playoffs, of course, Warriors. That was an impressive showing last night. That was something that I didn't know that we would see from this year's Warriors because it looked a whole lot like the championship Warriors or what we saw in Dallas last night from Golden State. We're going to get to a little bit more NBA talk with JVT at 2.30 because JVT knows it as well as anyone, and he will get us ready for the Celtics and the Heat in Game 4 of that series as well. On the Raiders' side of things... We have a couple interesting guests to discuss current NFL and Raiders and a little bit of Raiders past as well, because we know you love hearing about the legacy, the history of Raider Nation. Got a really interesting guest to talk that today. Three o'clock, Richard Deitch from the Atlantic is, uh, excuse me, from the Athletic, not from the Atlantic. That would be politics, and that's a whole different show. We're not going to do that here today. Uh, From the Athletic's going to join us. He covers sports media You know you care about who calls these games. You know when you tune in and you hear certain voices, you either say to yourself, oh, good, I'm glad we got that guy today, or you might hear Booger McFarlane. Sorry, 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 Booger. I I don't mean to call you out like that, but there were certain voices that made it a little more difficult for me to listen to things over the last few years. Richard covers all of that for The Athletic. He joins us at 3 o'clock. Damon... Am I being too harsh on, on Booger in particular? Should I not be calling out? But should I be calling out Jason Witten instead? Because I could do that too. Because Jason Witten deserves just as much. No, but Jason Witten, he learned his lesson. He had the one bad season and he got out. What I hear on R&R a lot is that fans don't like, Raider fans at least, don't like Chris Collinsworth. On a lot of the Sunday night games, they're like, oh, he's a Raider hater. So that's something that our fan base that I at least I picked up on, a lot of people don't like Chris Collinsworth. That is interesting. And, and I'm willing to, if you want to talk about that, Raider fans, you hit us up on the listener line or on the text line because I'm, I'm going to stand for Chris Collinsworth. He's one of the few that I will actually tune in to listen to specifically because I think he's got really good insight. Uh, I know that Chris Collinsworth, of course, owns 
pro football focus, PFF. I know that hasn't always been a a healthy, loving, stable relationship between Raider fans and PFF when John Gruden was calling him out uh, last year. But he's going to join us at 3 o'clock is Richard to talk about the media side of the NFL. And then at 3.30, this is going to be a fun one, guys. Uh, Ken Korak, the voice of the Oakland A's, former voice of the UNLV Rebels, and longtime partner of a guy that, if you have any history with the Raiders in either Oakland or Los Angeles, you're going to recognize Bill King, of course. Uh, He was the longtime voice not only of the Raiders, but also of the A's and of the Warriors, I mean, he's called a lot of championships in the Bay Area as Bill King. Of course, he passed a few years back. Uh, Ken was his partner for a long time on A's Radio. Wrote a great book about Bill called Holy Toledo. You can get it on Amazon. He wrote that book a few years back. But Ken's going to join us to talk about some of his favorite memories of Bill King. And if you have Bill King memories, we want to hear them. In fact, Ken's not coming on until 3.30. Hit us up on the listener line. Hit us up on the text line. What's your favorite Bill King call? What's the first time you remember hearing Bill King call a Raiders game? What stood out to him about you? Remember, 702-365-9200, Sam and Ash text line 69187 with the keyword RNR. We want to hear your memories, and we might share some of them with Ken when he comes on at 3.30. Damon, are you ready for, are you ready for a new phase? Are you, ready for, are you ready for phase three? Oh, I'm ready. Okay. Now it's now it's real. Yes, phase three, of course, as anyone who follows the NFL knows, phase three of OTAs is when we stop being polite and start getting real. Uh, that's where we are right now. Within this next phase of the offseason, which, let's be honest here, for a lot of people this is a quieter phase of the offseason. We get past the draft, start to see folks around the team, beat writers, PR folks, to take a little vacation, get a little rest up before – Training camp gets here. But right now, we're in a phase where there are going to be 10 days of OTAs, and we know that some of the Raiders are in town. They're getting in workouts. Uh, Mandatory minicamp doesn't start until June 7th. That's June 7th through the 9th. But within these next 30 to 40 days, there going to be 10 days of OTAs. Most of this is voluntary. Uh, Most of this is going to be a time for the Raiders to just get on the field together. They'll do some seven-on-seven. There will be a little bit of 11-on-11, but there's not going to be hitting this time of year. You're mostly just going through uh, some install kind of stuff. And for the Raiders this year, new regime, a lot of new faces, new offensive scheme, new defensive scheme. This is vital time. This is time that the Raiders need to be out there together. So here's our question for you today, the question that I want to hear from you Raider fans throughout the rest of this show. Which Raiders unit? has the most to prove this offseason. And I'm breaking that down really specifically. I want to know, do you think it's the offensive line? Do you think it's the defensive secondary? Do you think it's the wide receivers? All right, I just, I just threw that one in there to, to see if you're awake because, no, it's let me, let me tell you right now, any group that has Devontae Adams and Hunter Renfro does not need to be the question as to what unit has the most to prove this offseason. But I want to know what you think. Which unit has you sleeping just a little bit uncomfortably this time of year? What's the one that you're waiting to see? What can Josh McDaniels and his staff do with the Raiders? What can they do to get them coached up and get them ready to fly? That's what I want to hear from you about. Hit us up. 
One more time, 702-365-9200 on the call line, 69187 on the Sam and Ash text line with the keyword R&R. Mentioned a moment ago the Warriors looking a lot like the Warriors last night, DeMond, a lot like the championship Warriors that we're used to seeing. We saw Klay Thompson hitting shots last night. We saw Steph Curry going into the God mode uh, a number of times. We saw just enough Andrew Wiggins nearly stealing the soul out of Luka Doncic. Uh, A lot to be excited about, I think, if you're a Bay Area basketball fan right now. What would you take out of that game last night with the Warriors going up 3-0 on the Mavericks? Hold on. First off, you said we saw just enough of Andrew Wiggins. No, we saw the best Andrew Wiggins. That's the best he's looked in a Warriors uniform and maybe the best that he's looked in his career because he never made it to this type of stage with the Timberwolves. I do think that the Warriors, they're too much for the Mavericks. It's just that they're overpowering. They've got an answer for everything. And the best answer that they have is Andrew Wiggins on the defensive end because he's locking up Luka. In about 10 minutes, I'm going to tell you why Andrew Wiggins is a good comparison for Alex Leatherwood. Gotta stay tuned for that one. I got some breakdown stuff that we're going to go through. No, Alex Leatherwood did not dunk over Luka, although I would love to see that. That would be outstanding, uh, outstanding content. But no, that is, not, uh, that is not what happened last night. I'm so glad that they put in replay so that we could go back and take away that flop from Luka and make sure Andrew Wiggins gets his flowers. We got to make sure that we have some nice red and white Canadian flowers to hand Andrew Wiggins after he went... I mean, it was pretty impressive to see him just take Lucas' soul, bring it right out of his body, put it into his own life force, and build himself up to be a former number one pick the way he threw that down last night. I have a different question for you, Damon, though. I have a different question about a different sport, and I'm going to guess it's probably not one we spend a lot of time talking about here on Unnecessary Roughness. The PGA Championship finished final round yesterday. Justin Thomas wins over Will Zalatoris in a three-hole playoff. I don't want to talk about that. Okay. I don't want to talk about that. Don't try to make me talk about that. We're going to talk about something different. We're going to talk about a guy that most of us had never heard of before yesterday. His name's Mito Pereira. Mito Pereira is from Chile. He was, in some spots before the PGA Championship, a 300-to-1 long shot to win the tournament. He went into the final rounds with a multiple-shot lead yesterday. He gave most of it away. He comes up to the 18th tee. He's up one shot. It is a par-4 hole. He needs to get to the hole with a par. He needs to make a par. Four shots. If he, t- if he makes a bogey, he ties, and then they go to a playoff. So he's at least still alive. Right? He's, a, he's alive. If he makes worse than that, he is going to lose $1.8 million. He was about to make $2.6 million as the champion of the tournament. If he finishes outside of that, he's going to make $800,000. Now, no one here is turning down $800,000, but that's not $2.6 million. He's never won a major championship. And Mito decides that it, apparently... The English translation of Mito is YOLO. Mito went YOLO. 
and pulled out the driver on the 18th tee. And what did he do? He hit it in the water. Straight into the water. And then he managed to bungle it up so much from that point that he made a double bogey, didn't make the playoff, and had the embarrassment of having a chance to become a major champion without making a double bogey. So I have a question for you, Damon. This is what I want to talk about. If someone said to you, PGA Tour setup, they're going to make this course out to be as hard as they do for the pros, but I'm going to tell you from the jump, you can make $2.5 million if you can get to this hole in par. How close could you come? How close could you come if I just said to you one hole? That, that you don't have to. If this is like the half-court shot at, ha- at halftime in basketball, right? They put you up there. You make one half-court shot. You're going to win 50000 You're going to win 100000 Well, this is for $2.5 million. How close could you come? I mean, uh, if he got double, I think I could maybe go triple bogey. Triple bogey. Okay, so you're, you're still going to make about a half mil. That's not, that's not bad. But now I'm going to change the game on you a little bit. Could you throw the ball in the hole just <laughs> in par? This There's is what no I want to know. I want to know how many of you out there listening to Raider Nation Radio think that if I gave you four throws from like 450 yards – do you think you could get the golf ball in the hole throwing it from that far? I think I can make a bogey. I don't no way. I can make a bogey. I can there do it in is five. No way. Because you're gonna be just like, was it Mito? Mito? You're, gonna, you're gonna end up in the water. Because the, I don't think that you have the accuracy of throwing a golf ball that like this far. Because you're gonna be you're gonna be going for distance the same way he did with the driver. And you're going to end up in the water because you're going I, to overshoot it. I, I know that I could do this. I know it. Here's the thing. I, can get it, I know I can get on the green. <laughs> the, the trick's going to be once I get it to the green. Once I'm on the green, what am I going to do? Am I going to roll it skee-ball style? Am I going to shoot a little fadeaway and try to, like, drop it in? Because I know that I couldn't do it with the club. I know that there's no way I'm going to hit the ball into the hole if you give me the golf clubs. There's no chance. I'm not getting it in four. I'm not getting it in five. I'm not getting anywhere close to that. But I just want to know, Raider fans, do you think, either with a club or by throwing the ball, that you could have made a par yesterday knowing that you win $3 million? And by the way, props to Mito for uh, doing the CBS interview right after he lost because let me tell you something right now. (laughs) I would have been unavailable you would not have been able to bleep me out enough had you tried to put me up in front of the camera after that. DeMont, there's no way we're either of us doing that interview, right? Yeah, you remember when Chris Weber and Jawan Howard, after they lost the game to North Carolina, and you could see like in, the, in that Fab Five documentary that they had on ESPN, where it's like, get that camera out of my face. If you want to see a grown man cry, then that's what you're going to get. <laughs> that's what it would have been. If you want to see a grown man cry, that's what you're about to get right now. <laughs> There were going to be grown men crying all over that golf course. Mito uh, Finito. Mito Finito. Sorry, bud. Let's hit the opening drive. The opening drive of Unnecessary on Raider Nation Radio 920 is brought to you by Southern Nevada Chevy Dealers, home of the Chevy Silverado, the strongest, most advanced Silverado ever. All right. 
Question coming from our Finley Studios today. Which Raiders unit has the most approved this offseason? I told you before I want to hear from you, Raider fans. 702-365-9200 is the phone number. 69187 is the Sam and Ash text line with the keyword R&R. But we're going to start out with my breakdown on this and why I think that there is one area of this team that matters more than everything else. So let me start you all out with a stat from Paul Gutierrez at ESPN. We got this from Stats and Information. Raiders have ranked in the bottom half of the NFL in scoring defense in 19 straight seasons, the longest such streak by any team since 1970. And this Raiders defense, remember where we were last offseason? We were talking all about the defense. Can it catch up to the offense? Can it just be good enough? Can it not be the reason that Derek Carr has to walk away in January and say, we were that close. And a crazy thing happened along the way. The defense actually got to respectable last year. Defense wasn't great, but all we asked all along following this team was just get the defense to average and the offense will do the rest. That was the plan. So you looked at the athletic right now during the offseason as we get going with OTAs here. And Deshaun Reed wrote an article identifying the five players key to the Raiders' offseason. He identified five players who are going to make or break this offseason. I think this goes a long way to telling you which unit has the most to prove. He identified three defensive players within that group. He said it's Cleve Furl. He said it's Trayvon Mullen. And he said it's John Abram. I'm not going to argue with any of that. Cleve Furl's not the fourth pick in the draft. Let's not keep putting that on him. But what can he do to be a contributing player in Patrick Graham's defense? Is he going to be a 3-4 end? Is he going to be standing up at linebacker? Where is he going to be? Trayvon Mullen, we've talked about it on the show. We've talked about what the Raiders have to do at cornerback. We know Casey Hayward is gone. Trayvon Mullen needs to be healthy and on the field. And we've talked also about Jonathan Abram and the fact that as a strong safety, much better than as a free safety, but the Raiders need more out of him. But the other two players are offensive linemen. And that's where I think we got to look. This offense made so many upgrades. Come on. With Devontae Adams coming into this offense, he upgrades everything about every part of the team. He upgrades Derek Carr. He upgrades Hunter Renfro. He upgrades Darren Waller. He makes the running game better. The attention you have to dedicate to Devontae Adams makes this team better all over the field. But I'm not sure how much better he can make the offensive line. I'm not sure that Devontae Adams alone is going to help fix this offensive line to the level that it needs to be fixed. So let me explain why. Uh, There's a great article up right now at The Athletic by Ted Wynn, who I know we've talked to a lot, breaks down the Raiders as well as anybody, breaks down film as well as anybody. He sat down with former Raiders offensive line coach Mike Tice, and they went through the film, and they broke down every player on the Raiders line. They looked at film from last year. Everybody's happy with Colton Miller. We know that. Everybody's happy with what they've seen out of the former first-round draft pick. 
But Sean Reed identified a couple of players that I think we have to talk about, and it's going to tell you why the offensive line as a what is known as a weak link system is going to matter a whole lot more about how the middle of that line plays than how the best of that line plays. Both Andre James and Alex Leatherwood were identified by Tashawn Reed. Now, Mike Tice actually had some positive things to say about Alex Leatherwood. He thinks he's going to be a good guard. He's not sure if he can kick back out to right tackle, but he thinks Alex Leatherwood can be a good guard. So I'll pause here for a second. I'm going to ask Damon a question. Because... Pro Football Focus has some great research about the offensive line being a weak link system. And I'm going to tell you in a minute which part of the line matters the most. I think we can all agree Colton Miller is the best offensive lineman on the Raiders roster right now, DeMond. Who are the second and third best offensive linemen on this roster? Woo! That's a good one. You got me there. Okay, let me let me actually think about it. Because I do think that Alex Leatherwood does have some untapped potential. So we got Colton Miller. We've got John Simpson. Man, I want to say Andre James. I do think that he's still going to be starting at the center spot. So he does have a lot to prove to prove that he can still keep his starting job. But from what we've seen, I'm going to give him the number two spot. Okay. And then I'm going to give Denzel Good that third best. He's the third best offensive lineman on this line. I want you to keep that in mind then. Pro football focus grades last year. Just pass blocking because we're more worried about pass blocking than we are about run blocking. Colton Miller, 84. Andre James, 67. Jermaine Illuminor. 67. Simpson, 62.7. Brandon Parker, 54. Alex Leatherwood, 29. Now, we've spent a lot of time talking about Alex Leatherwood. But Pro Football Focus has some great research, and they've gone back and they have looked at which offensive lineman matters the most in terms of your success. Is it your best? Can one offensive lineman bring everybody else up? Is it your worst? Does a weak link system mean that Alex Leatherwood, if he plays the way he did last year, is going to bring this whole line down? And the answer is neither one. Pro Football Focus article, and we can put this out for you on my, uh, on my Twitter for you to look at. Eric Eager has some great research from late in the offseason where he looks at the fact that by their numbers, it is your third best offensive lineman who makes the biggest difference in whether or not your whole line performs the best. Now, that's not to say that a weak link means that you can just throw Alex Leatherwood out there, he can struggle as badly as he did at right tackle last year, and everything's going to be fine. But it means I think the Raiders need to have most to prove this offseason when it comes to Andre James, when it comes to Jermaine Illuminor, who I think is probably going to end up with a starting spot on this line. Um, Ted Wynn, Mike Tice, they said they don't think Andre James should have an uncontested path to being the starting center for this team. He thinks the draft competition that the Raiders brought in is going to make it so that there is a fight for that spot. Raiders' offensive line will be the difference in what happens with this team this year, period, because I'm not worried about the defense being average again. If it can be average, I think they're fine. But this division, these offenses... You have to be able to compete with these offenses with offense, not with your defense. You have to be able to do what the other offenses can do, a close facsimile. DVOA numbers from Football Outsiders last year. Passing DVOA, full season, Kansas City third, Los Angeles Chargers fourth. And, of course, you know I'm going to say that the Raiders were – wait a second, hold on a second, wait. 
Oh, the Raiders weren't third? The Denver... The Denver Broncos were third in passing DVOA in the AFC West last year? 11th? The Raiders were 17th? Oh, well, you know, we can't just trust that one number, right? We can't just trust one number. We, got, we, we, we can use other... Oh, oh, no. Oh, Pro Football Focus said the same thing. Pro Football Focus said the Raiders were the fourth best passing offense last year. Well, the biggest thing that's going to make the difference for this passing offense is Derek Carr having time to throw. Because we know Devontae Adams and Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller are going to get open. They are going to be available. Derek Carr's got to have the time to get the ball to them. I'm not worried about Colton Miller. Mike Tice thinks Alex Leatherwood can step it up at guard. Brandon Parker, Jermaine Luminor, Denzel Good coming off injury. These are the places where we need answers. This is what we need to find out in the offseason. This is where the Raiders' make or break will happen this year. It's going to be about that offensive line and how they can get coached up. Let's see what sort of magic from the Patriot way Josh McDaniels can bring over to the squad. JVT is going to join us in just a moment. We're going to talk a little NBA, get his thoughts on what does he think is the Raiders unit with the most to prove this offseason here on Unnecessary Roughness on R&R. That was the opening drive of Unnecessary Roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Brought to you by Southern Nevada Chevy Dealers, home of the Chevy Silverado, the strongest, most advanced Silverado ever. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. It's Adam Candy and JVT. How about that, John? Look at that. I made quite the impression. I, it was so good yesterday, or yesterday, Friday, uh, that I get power voice guy saying my initials. I like that's what, it. That's what I'm saying. Look at us. We're official now. We're official now here on Raider Nation Radio. Unnecessary roughness. Adam Candy and Jonathan Von Tobel, JVT, filling in for Q alongside Damon as always. Uh, fill us in, John. What sort of excitement did a, uh, did a young father of two have this weekend uh well i had will zalatoris in the pga championship Woo! nothing to do with my family uh, but uh Ouch. willie z down the stretch i mean i was kind of lucky there he birdie 17 has a long par putt on 18 uh, to finish at five under and then we know amito uh, Pereira, uh, just to add salt to the wound who could have been the first chilean to win a uh, major he vomits all over himself goes driver on 18 and the rest is history so um yeah, it was an exciting weekend. Oh, but my kids are fine. Everything's good. Great, great. I'm, yeah. I'm very glad to hear it as well as your uh, as well as your near miss golf bets. We asked Damon earlier. We weighed in on this. You can choose your own weapon here. You can okay. either use golf clubs or you can just throw the ball. But if you were in Mito Pereira's spot, could you have made a five oh. on the 18th? Well, no. I'm a terrible golfer. But I will tell you this. I would not have. I would not have busted out that driver. <laughs> I would have. Uh, I would have been safe as hell the entire way. And the the hilarious part about it for those who did not watch. And actually, I think ten to twelve balls found the water where he ended up going into. On TV, it looked like a creek that was like this wide. Like I'm, I'm holding my feet, my fingers together very closely. Like at like and there were so many places where that ball could have gone, and it looked like Demond. I have to show you the, his his drive or his shot off the tee. It looked like somebody when he was coming through punched him in the hip because like he just like kind of does this weird thing where he like I don't even know. Adam, you watch like it was such a weird shot off the tee, and it's the second you hit it, you're watching it like, oh, did, did he go in the water? Oh, he went in the water, and a dude who was in the lead 
nine under par on Sunday, doesn't even make the playoff. Awesome. What it looked like was sort of a sped up Charles Barkley swing. Yeah. That had that, that little hitch, right, when he should have been finishing the swing, and then all of a sudden everything went sideways. The worst part of it literally. was wa- – <laughs> Literally sideways. The worst part was that if you watch the two groups that went before Mito Pereira, guys who needed to make birdie hit three wood off the tee. Yeah. And then Mito came up there, as we said earlier, in full YOLO mode, at grabbed the driver, and it was all over. Like, that was it. Like, I didn't was- see this live, but what you guys are describing is like that moment in the movie – where the player's talent gets taken away because this is so bad for, yeah. Yeah, for him to go with the driver and you say right, everyone here. else goes with the three wood. This is great radio. I'm going to show DeMond. DeMond, watch. <laughs> it looks like somebody punches a mid-swing. Yeah, it's, it's pretty painful Ooh, to see. Yeah. You can tell when he hits it. He knows. Oh, yeah. He and all, he, all he has to do there is get par, and he wins a major championship. He doesn't have to get aggressive. He's got a stroke lead on the guys behind him. The dude that was red hot is already in the clubhouse. The other guy, can, all he can do is par 18. Yeah. And he that finds little the water. Surface of, yeah, that yeah. little surface of water. Yeah. That is so small that that's like the little ditch that you would jump over as a kid as a, right. take a shortcut <laughs> because you know you can make it over. In my childhood neighborhood, we had we called it the gutter. It's just, you know, where the sewer water would go in. Exactly. Like, yeah, you just hung out in the gutter and, like, we're just, you know, ne'er-do-wells. Like, it looked like that. It was it was ridiculous. Things I was not expecting today, use of the word ne'er-do-well yeah. uh, and mm. uh, talk of JVT's childhood gutter. Uh, but you know what? It's a better show for it. It's very impressive. It's very impressive. Uh, almost as impressive, John, as Steph Curry was last night, nice. along with the rest of the Warriors. Oh, don't, you know, don't insult the rest of the Warriors. Don't say that. Say his name. Say his Andrew name. Andrew Wiggins. Thank you. Thank you. Say his name. I, hey, if you had been here a little bit earlier, you would have heard me discussing him, like, literally snatching the soul out of Luka Doncic and taking it as his own and powering himself for all of Canada. Yeah. He was awesome. He's been really good this series, by the way. That's the other thing about it. Like, it's not just last night. If you've watched every game, Wiggins has been a solid dude for this team throughout. He is the, since Gary Payton's out, he's their primary on-ball defender, so he takes almost every possession against Luka on defense. And yeah, Luka's still pretty good. He's not going to shut him down, but he does a great job on that end of the floor. Still contributes all over the place. And it's like the little things. It's like when he's setting a screen and he slips to the basket when there's a double coming, like at the perfectly right time. Like all of these, all of these things that Wiggins has done, it leads me to this. Are you ready for this? You ready? So for those who did not see... Two weeks ago, the NBA has decided to now award trophies for conference finals MVPs as well, not just finals MVPs. Andrew Wiggins is 12 to 1, in some spots 25 to 1, to win Western Conference Finals MVP. Book it. It's his. Stone Cold Lock of the Century of the Week? Uh, yeah, I was going to say Aqua Teen Hunger Force reference Stone Cold Lead Pipe Lock of the Century of the Week. Oh, my God. And you know what? If he doesn't win it, I'm probably never coming back on here anyway, so that's fine. In fact, the, <laughs> the books are so confident, JVT, in what you just said, that they have installed the Warriors as one-point underdogs tomorrow. Oh. After closing as three-and-a-half-point underdog yesterday. This is my favorite. This is my favorite thing, and I think we talked a little bit about it on Friday, Damon. We had Tom Byrne on. The overreaction because a team is down 2 nothing and going back home is hilarious. 
The Mavericks closed as three-and-a-half-point favorites yesterday because the betting market was like, that's a great spot for Dallas. They're desperate. they got to win this game. Of course they have to. And then sure enough, what happens? They lose. <laughs> and they don't come close to covering that number. And if there is any, for those out there who are not big into sports betting, if there are, is there any indication that you're getting no value, just look at what happens between games three and four. Close three-and-a-half in game three because it's a good spot to now just laying one in game four. You were getting no value. One. Money line even both ways. There you go. Golden State and Dallas, 6 o'clock start tomorrow. Uh, tonight, 5.30 start between the Heat and the Celtics. Let's check the injury report for the Heat. Oh, it's everyone. Yeah. Oh, literally, it's the it's it's the entire starting lineup uh, for this team. Tyler Hero is out. Uh, Jimmy James, Kyle Lowry, Struess, PJ, all questionable. Although you can expect the most of, most of them uh, to go in some way, shape, or form here. Uh, it's a DraftKings line right now. Heater catching seven total two oh six. Yeah, there's better things to bet on right now at this point. Like, who knows what's going on? You know what I mean? Like, yep. uh, you have no idea. I like the Jimmy James reference to, uh, uh, dang, name escapes me. Who's the the old Bulls coach that tried to call him James? He's like, that's just Jimmy. That's <laughs> just it, Jimmy. Uh, uh, Boylan? Yeah, yeah, Boylan? It was Boylan. Yeah, yeah they, Boylan. Yeah. He's like, he was James Butler tonight. Uh-huh. And they asked Jimmy yep. about it. He's like, yeah. actually, my nope. name's actually nope. just nope. Jimmy. Like, yeah, that's on the birth certificate. What, that was one of the most fun parts of that whole interaction <laughs> that was never going to work. It was so ridiculous. Mm. Um, yeah, like, I just, if you don't know who's going to play, how would you feel comfortable? And it's wild. Like, if you look at it from like it's Jimmy Butler is going to warm up with quote the intention to play, so it sounds like he's going to be out there. Uh, but Marcus Smart's ankle swelled up, I guess yesterday. That was according to some reports. So we'll see if he's going to be available. Robert Williams has had this knee issue for a while now, and he's been in and out. So who knows if he's going to play today? And if those two aren't out there, I mean, even without Jimmy James, as you call him, I mean, the Celtics are going to be in a little bit of a tough spot. It's I hate it, but um, T culture man. When Gabe Vincent and Max Struess. Yeah, who are, are, are key linchpins to an Eastern Conference Finals team? Like, they're just really well coached, man. And if you're t- if two of your starting five aren't going to be out there, I think you're in trouble if you're Boston. So there's you just want to wait to see who's available. I, I still think Boston's the better team if everybody's available. So if they go out there, I'd expect the Boston Celtics to win. Maybe not cover. It's a pretty high, like seven. Just uh, but, went seven and a half as we were talking. Yeah, so yeah. Um, maybe an indication that somebody uh, in terms of the Heat, uh, maybe somebody else not being available for them. Um, but I would say that the Celtics are in a good position to win today. Either one of these teams, if healthy, going to give the Warriors a run? Uh, Boston. Okay. I still believe in Boston, man. Like they're, I think they're the best team in, in the NBA. Uh, I, I still think that this is uh, a team that is to be reckoned with. And by the way, I just, I've made eye contact with DeMond right now. It wasn't awkward, but I just was reminded of something. Um, DeMond called it on Friday. He was all over Golden State. He said, I'm going to lay it. Now, it took a miraculous comeback and whatnot, but still, you were all over it, buddy. Also, uh, but I was about right about Miami as well. Were you? Yes, because I said, hey. I don't believe you. I, I said, put in UD and just have him look oh, yeah. him in the eyes and Adam, just out-tough him. He wanted you down as Haslam to start the game so he could bring a spark to the Miami Heat. Oh. They didn't need to do that, but the, the, the message was still there. They out-toughed him. When Victor Oladipo just kept stripping Jalen Brown because he forgot how to dribble, Oh boy, yeah. it was just, hey, we're just going to out-tough you guys. We it, want it more. It's almost like like Gerard Gallant sends Ryan Reeves out on the ice to start the game, like trying to find somebody to drop the gloves with right so from ridiculous. the jump. So right? Ridiculous. That's exactly what we should have had happen. I want to see Scott Foster react to that. Let's see Scott Foster try to sort that out if Udonis Haslam comes out. The ball goes up, and someone just <laughs> goes full 
uppercut on the guy but, next to him. By the way, real quick, uh, also a part of the crew, Kane Fitzgerald, who, uh, according to Basketball Reference, home teams win 77% of the games, which Kane Fitzgerald is uh, on the floor for. So. It, it's science. You can't argue science. <laughs> that's, what it ha- that's what it has to be. Uh, Demond, I believe we got some texts in on our discussion about which Raiders unit has the most approved this offseason, or maybe about Bill King, or maybe about whether they thought they could make a par on 18 at the PGA Championship to win $2.6 million. I don't know. It could be any of them. That's the grab bag fun of this. All right, we got one. They didn't leave a name. Oh, boy. Chris Collinsworth sucks. Okay. Because when we were talking earlier about, you know, the broadcast as we're going to be getting into it with Richard Deitch a little later, you know, hey, I I was right that the Raider fans don't like Chris Collinsworth. Okay, Chris Collinsworth sucks. I'm going to assume that was from Al Michaels. um, But, yeah, we'll just have to assume uh, away here. Who else do we hear from, Demond? All right, we got Mailman Raider. If you guys had to rank the AFC pass, AFC West pass rushers individually, how does it stack up? Individually, so not by team. Okay. Uh, how how are we doing this, John? We we gonna go snake draft here? We gonna we just gonna fight it out over who who we want first? Uh, sure, I'll give you the first pick. Oh, this is always so dangerous. Uh, the the best pass rusher in the AFC West is Joey Bosa. Okay. Now, wait, but here's the thing. So is this is specifically in terms of pass rushing prowess. It's not just edge players. Like, if this is the case, like, do I want Frank Clark? Because Frank Clark's a pretty good edge player. Yeah, you can go whoever you want. Pass rushers. Oh, okay, it's got to be pass rushers. All right, all right. Well, I messed up by giving you the best. Uh, I'll go Max Crosby. How about that? Boom. That's the best. Whoa, pick. whoa, uh, whoa. The disrespect. Whoa. Number two. Number two, that's, 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 uh, all right. If you're going to do that, then basically I'm going to end up with the entire Chargers defensive line because I, I am happy to take Khalil Mack, uh, with the oh. number three spot there. Uh, even have you, have Khalil Mack and over Chandler Jones? I was going to say, have you watched them play the last few years? Like, what's, uh, I, what's going I, on here? Yeah, I mean, there aren't that many football games I had. I've had the opportunity to see him play. Um, have you watched Chandler Jones try to stop the run? Well, yeah, that's, the, that's what I'm saying. Like, uh, that's the question why I was pass know. rusher. Yeah, see, that's why I asked. Get oh, okay. I, I didn't. I didn't know that they came off the field when they weren't. Uh, when they weren't. Some of them pass. do. Some of them do. This is true. I, yeah. I haven't heard, heard that. Where else? All right. Hold on. Hold on. Are, do you we count Chris your, Jones? You don't do take we count Chris Jones among this? Uh, yes. Okay. Do you want? Do you want Chris Jones, or should I just go ahead and? Are you going to be like the Vikings that year, not get your pick in, and I get to just jump in and take another one? No, because I'm, I'm actually debating. I was thinking about where I wanted to go with this. Like, do I go on upside and potential from what we've seen, although it's been a somewhat disappointing career? Um, I know where you're going with this. Oh, where am I going? Bradley Chubb. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah I'll go Bradley Chubb. Let's yeah, go. I, don't, I, I can't argue. I mean, it, it's all there. It's all there for Bradley Chubb. All I know is that I got Max Crosby, Bradley Chubb. I think I'm better than you. Well, I mean, that's nothing new. You've always thought you were better than me. Uh, it's the it's the source of our lingering years long fight. So it's got me to this point in my career. Did you not know that? Did, did I'll, not? I'll be I'll be quite honest. It's pretty tough to hit me with the rank the pass rushers individually out of the blue. You got to give, yeah, I mean, give me some time on this. Hey, you got to let me get into the, the nuances. We could have said, "Hey, we'll, we'll get back to that later." Who is I don't that? Know. It, it, yeah, Mailman it, it, Raider. Look, it, yeah, that's from Mailman, mailman Raider. It, look, d- have you listened to the podcast here, folks? It's not p- 
pass rush prognosticator. It's hardwood handicapper. Mm. Okay. You know what, Mailman Raider? Why don't you rate the best interior linebackers in the AFC West? You get back yeah. to me on that one. Huh? Yeah. 69187, yeah. keyword R&R. Key, no. No. Keyword S-U-C-K. No, I'm not going to go that way. <laughs> All right, do we have more? Yeah, we got one more. Let's get it in before we get to break. From Will in New Hampshire, 10 Cup Feeling. I've never watched the movie, but uh, is that accurate? Have you guys ever watched 10 Cup? Oh, no. I know I know what it's about, but I've, no, I've never seen it. Well, I'm going to assume at the end of the movie he blows the big shot. No, well, it, correct me if I'm wrong, Candy. Have you seen it? Because it, 10 Cup is about like a guy. It's it's a golf movie. I know that much. If it's the 10 Cup I'm thinking of. Yeah, Kevin Costner. And, you know, uh, and it's like about like just like some next level genius like golf guy. Like, And you want to know the only reason I know this? It's because I listen to the PFF podcast a lot. Yeah. Yep. Sam, <laughs> Sam Monson. Yeah, yeah. Sam Monson at PFF <laughs> calls right. him like he 10 cups his offense because he's just getting the most out of nothing. Oh, man. The, the sad part is that both of us know the 10 Cup reference from a football podcast and not from watching the actual movie. Uh, Will. I might consider getting to your opinion at some point. I do um, I do have a bit of a thing with the state of New Hampshire, so I'm not going to be able to weigh in quite yet. Maybe on the other side we can get to this on Unnecessary Roughness here on Raider Nation Radio. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. It's Adam Candy and JVT. Q's back later this week. You got Adam, Jonathan, Demon here on Unnecessary Roughness. We want to hear from you on the listener line, 702-365-9200, 702-365-9200, or on the Sam and Ash text line, 69187 with the keyword R-N-R. That's 69187. Visit them at SamandAsh.com because you deserve what's right. Show question for the day. Which Raiders unit has the most to prove this offseason? I gave you my take a little while ago. Uh, I feel comfortable, Mr. Von Tobel, asking you this question because I didn't spring this one on you. This was in the rundown. You had the opportunity to think about it. Uh, which Raiders unit has the most to prove this offseason? Fullback, of course. Uh, no. All right, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go a little different here. What was what was your answer? I feel like I know what it was. What was yours? Offensive line. Yep. Demon, what was yours? Secondary. Okay, I like them both. I'm gonna go somewhere surprising. You ready for this? Drum roll, please. Wide receiving room. Whoa. Be- Talk about counterculture. There you go. Uh, but also, I mean, in all seriousness, we talked a little bit about this, Demon and I, on Friday, which is. After Devontae Adams and Hunter Renfro, what are we looking at with this wide receiver room, right? The rest of this depth, how does this pan out? How comfortable are you with the guys that are not named, recognizable names? And, and to me, I think when you've seen the way wide receivers can be impactful in today's National Football League, and if you don't have a lot of depth, injuries do happen. And if that's going to be the case, are you going to be comfortable looking around this room with a lot of new faces, some of them young guys, some of them some untested names, and uh, largely a good amount of them coming from different teams. You weren't a part of this squad last year, right? So I think that's, for me, Devontae Adams is a known commodity. And I'm not including the tight ends, by the way. There's just wide receivers, right? So, you know, Hunter Renfro, known commodity. But after that, what are we looking at with the Las Vegas Raiders? So I'll say, yeah, I think wide receiver is pretty fair when you look at it from a depth standpoint. I think you got a lot to, I don't know if you want to call it a lot to prove or just have questions about, but I think you have a lot to learn about your wide receivers outside of the known commodities. 
Let me ask you, uh, you're not going to need to name a person off the top of your head here unless there's something that really jumps out at you, but where does Hunter Renfro rank for you as the best secondary receiver you've seen with Devontae Adams? Right? Yeah. Like, can you think about anybody in Green Bay who jumps out at you as that guy was clearly better as a number two to Devontae Adams than Hunter Renfro, and I'm going somewhere with this. Um, off the top of my head, I would say no. Yeah, and that's and I think that's the point, right? There's yeah. no one that you immediately jump to, and I think that's what I think that's what gives me less pause about the depth for the Raiders because I think when you spend the kind of money the Raiders did on Devontae Adams, one of the three biggest contracts in the league for a wide receiver, you're kind of saying we don't have to make the investment elsewhere at wideout, mm-hmm. and, and it's an all-in approach. I get it, but at the same time. It isn't necessarily all in because you haven't had to pay Hunter Renfro yet. Um, and you still do have Darren Waller, who I think would probably be the best tight end that Devontae Adams has played with as oh, well. Absolutely. Green Bay hasn't had an elite tight end during that time. So I guess I'm a little bit less worried about the four, the five, the six, because if it gets to that point for the Raiders, they might have bigger problems. Well, but when, when you're talking about wide receiver, though, it's not the four, the five, and the six, right? It's your third wide receiver that you have questions about. Uh, I think like that to, that, to me, is why you have this on this list. So your, your top two wide receivers, potentially, would be Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro. I think Renfro is a better option in terms of being a slot receiver. So who is the starter out wide opposite of Devontae Adams? At this point right now, when you look at this, Demarcus Robinson, Keelan Cole, like out of all those guys, to, to me, that's your, that's your question about the depth of this team. I don't think it's four or five or six. I think who who's the second wideout because I think Renfro's your slot guy, and then outside of that, who, who's number two? Well, I think officially it's Demarcus Robinson. Yeah, um, but I also think that when that person is, let's probably say, would you say that the number two wideout spot, yeah, you know, actually lining out wide, probably the fifth receiving option. Yeah. For Derek Carr most days? That would, be, uh, that would probably be pretty fair. You assume Josh mm-hmm. Jacobs or whoever else lines up in the backfield, King and Drake or, or whoever it is, is going to be probably the fourth option beyond those top three. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you, I think you're right that there's a question. Um, I still go back to the offensive line as name the second best offense. Uh, if you want to play the depth game, who's the second best offensive lineman on the on the roster right now? Uh, I'd probably go... Andre James? And I think it's fair, considering he had the best grade from PFF among Raiders offensive linemen last year behind Colton Miller. Now, interesting. did you see the uh, – there's an article, Ted Wynn was watching film with Mike Tice, and they were going lineman by lineman through with the Raiders, and he seemed worried about Andre James. And not to get too far down to the weeds here, mm-hmm. he hops too much. Okay. Doesn't set his feet. Yeah. Doesn't set his feet. He leans. He, he hops too much. Something I know that we've all been criticized for at one time or another, right? A little, little too much hop. Too much he, lean for me. Yeah. Yeah, it's a problem. A little too much hop, a little too much lean. Yeah. We'll get more into the offensive line conversation as we go along. We want to hear from you on the listener line. You can call us there at 702-365-9200. Text us on the Sam and Ash text line 69187 with the keyword R&R. Shift gears a little bit in five minutes. We talked to Richard Deitch from The Athletic. So much movement this offseason in the broadcast booth. Let's find out where all of your favorites, including Chris Collinsworth, are going.